This is a folk tale from Denmark, and it's called The Princess in the Chest. Now, there was once a king and queen who ruled over a rich, prosperous, and happy land, and they loved each other deeply, and the days went by happily, but then the days continued to go by happily, and then they weren't so happy. And the reason they weren't so happy was because there was no child born to them. The king was desperate to have an heir for the throne, but no child was born to them at all. And as the time passed and they grew older, the king started to get more and more bad-tempered. And when he lost his temper, he would blame the queen for not having a child. It wasn't his fault. It must be hers. Well, that was hurtful and a terrible thing for him to say. And the poor queen wept and wept and wept. Now it got so bad that the king declared one day that he was going to go away on a journey. He couldn't stand it anymore. He was going away for a year. And when he returned at the end of that year, if the queen didn't have a child, then the two of them must part. Well, the poor queen was broken-hearted about this, and insulted as well. How was it her fault? Maybe it wasn't meant to be. Well, not in the eyes of the king. So, away he went, and the queen grieved. Oh, what terrible grief came over her. And one day one of her servants said to her, Your Majesty, I know what ails you. You want a child. There's a wise woman who lives in the village, and they say that she can help people in the same circumstances as you and the king. Shall I fetch her? Oh, yes, please do, said the queen. Well, the queen was desperate. She would do anything. And so the servant went down to the village, told the wise woman, and she came up immediately. Now, she said to the queen, I know all your troubles. I know you want a child. I know the king blames you. But I can help you. Outside the castle, at the left-hand side from the main entrance, in your garden there, you have an oak tree, a large oak tree. Yes, said the queen, that's right, I do. Underneath that oak tree there grows a bush, a strange bush, because the leaves on it are covered in brown hair, and they're all long and sharp and spiky. Now, on that bush, there are three buds at the moment. What you must do is, before dawn tomorrow, you must be fasting, and go just before dawn and pick the middle of the three buds and eat it. 
and then, within six months, you will have a child. Oh, that's wonderful, said the queen. That's wonderful news. How can I thank you? Ah, said the old woman, I'm not finished. You see, this is a birth by enchantment. And so the daughter that you will have will not be like other girls. And you must give her up the minute that she is born. You have to give her to a nurse who will take her away and she will rear her. You must not see her. I will provide the nurse for you, so have no fear. She will take care of the princess. But you must not see the princess, neither you nor the king, until she has passed her fourteenth year. On the day of her fifteenth birthday, then you may see her, not before. Now, the nurse and the princess will have to live in a wing of the castle where no one goes. But whatever you do, you and the king must not try to see her. And if you do, then terrible misfortune will fall upon your kingdom. You will regret it. You will wish you had not done it. Well, there was a piece of advice for you. But the queen accepted it. And the next morning, just before dawn, still fasting, she went down to the garden, she went down to the big oak tree, and there under it was the strangest looking bush, because all the leaves on it were brown rather than green, and they were covered in some sort of hair, and they were all long and pointed, dangerous looking, and there was three brown buds. She picked the middle bud and she ate it. And, oh, it was so lovely and sweet to start with. But then, oh, the taste. It was bitter. It was as bitter as bile. But she forced it down and she went back to the castle. And sure enough, in six months... She gave birth to a little girl. But it was a strange little girl, and the queen never saw much of it. The old nurse was sent up, and she took the child, and she took it away as soon as it was born, and she took it wrapped up in a blanket away to that wing of the castle where no one went, that looked out over the park a great pleasure garden. And that was that. Now the king came home, and he heard to his delight that the queen had given birth to a daughter. Well, he said to the queen, Where is our daughter? Where is our child? And she had to explain to him the strange circumstances of her birth and that she was taken away from them, and they couldn't see her until she had completed her fourteenth year. 
and only on her 15th birthday could they see her for the first time. Well, the king wasn't happy about that. I'm not waiting, he said. I want to see my daughter. I demand to see my daughter. I will see my daughter. But the queen managed to persuade him not to. She said that this wise woman, well, she knew more than anyone else in the kingdom could possibly know. And if she said bad things would happen if they tried to see their daughter, then bad things would happen. So the king had to make do with that. Now, the queen knew that this child was strange. She'd only caught a glimpse of her, but she could tell she was strange. And also, the strange thing about her, which always haunted the queen, was the fact that she spoke. She could speak as soon as she was born. And also what she said was of great wisdom, like she had a great age behind her already, and was very wise, very, very well versed in all things. Now, they stayed there in that wing of the castle, the nurse and the princess, never seen by anyone. Food was left outside, and the old nosh would go out and collect it. And the queen would go sometimes and speak to the nosh and ask her how her daughter was getting on. And the old nosh would tell her as much as she was prepared to tell her. Well, it was a terrible strain for the king and queen having to wait all that time before they could see their child. And it got so bad that on the eve of the child's 15th birthday, the king said, I want to see my daughter, and I want to see her now. You can't, my love, said the queen. You can't, because the wise woman said that a terrible, terrible thing would befall the kingdom if you did. There would be terribly bad luck. I don't care, he says. She's my daughter. She's as much mine as yours. I have every right to see her. I demand to see her. I will see her. And with that, he rushed off. What difference can a few hours make, he shouted. And he stomped off to the castle and up the stairs and along the corridor and into that wing of the castle that no one went. And he burst into the room where the old nurse was with his daughter. And the old nurse flew out in front of him and said, No, your majesty, you must not see her. It's too soon. Your terrible, terrible misfortune will befall you if you see her. But he pushed the nurse out of his way, and there he saw his daughter for the first time in his life. And she was beautiful. She was all golden hair and all blood and, and snow. Oh, she was so beautiful. But there was something strange about her, because right in the middle of her forehead there grew a tuft of brown hair. And she ran to her father, and she threw her arms around him, and she said, Oh, father, 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 what have you done? Why couldn't you wait just a few hours more? 
But now, tomorrow, I have to die. What? said the king. I have to die, or I can give you three choices. Either a terrible black plague will break out in the land and it will kill many people, or a war will begin which will be fought for many, many years, and many people will die and great misery will come to the land. Or I die tomorrow, and you bury me in, not in the ground, but you put me in a plain wooden chest, and place me in the church, and leave me there for a year, and you have to post a sentry every night to stand guard over the chest. And if you fail to do that, then terrible pestilence and war will destroy the land. You're not going to die, he said. How can you die? You're, you're far too young. You're too healthy. But so the next day he called for physicians from all over the kingdom. All the greatest doctors came there. But the princess took ill and died. They couldn't do a thing to save her. Not with all their knowledge of medicine could they do anything to save the princess. All they could do was declare that she truly was dead and they attached their signatures to a certificate to say so. Well, the king did as he said. He had a plain wooden chest made, and his daughter's body was placed in that, and it was carried to the chapel in the little church that was in the grounds of the castle, and there she was placed, and a guard stood sentry, over the coffin. When the next day, when they went into the church, there was no sentry. He was gone. The next day a new sentry stood guard there, but the day after he was gone too. So was the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. So it went on for months. Every sentry that stood guard over that coffin was not there in the morning, and soon people started to talk. The princess's ghost must come back and kill them. Maybe she eats them. Maybe she drags them down to the lowest pit of hell. No one knew, but those sentries were never seen again. Now it got to the stage when nearly a year had passed, that no one would stand sentry. They had run out of soldiers who were prepared to do it. Even being ordered, they still refused. So some of the, some of the lower-ranking officers started frequenting the taverns and looking for people who would stand sentry. And they found some. And they never saw them again. Large sums of money was offered, and people took it because the money was so amazingly good. But in the morning, 
They were not there. No one collected so much as a penny from the king for standing guard over his daughter. Now it happened one day that there was a young man came in to the town where the castle was. It was the capital of that small country. And he was a blacksmith, and his name was Christian. And Christian was looking for work. Now, he had a few a few pennies in his pocket, so he went to the tavern. And he ordered wine. And he started to drink. And some of those officers joined him. And he liked good company, and he liked good conversation, and he liked wine. So it was a happy little group there, all laughing away and talking. And as the wine flowed, then Christian got bolder and bolder, and he started to brag more and more. Well, they said, you've heard about the king's daughter up in the church there, and Men stand sentry overnight, but now people are too scared because, well, they've been disappearing. Scared, said Christian. Scared? What does that word mean, he says. Ha, ha, no, I'm not scared of anything. I'm the sort of person who doesn't take fright easily. No, nothing scares me. Then you're just the man we're looking for, they said. You can become... A soldier will make you a soldier. You can stand guard all night in the church. Ah, no problem. What's the king offering? A hundred dollars. Oh, well, a hundred dollars, that's good. You got a lot of wine for a hundred dollars. He certainly would, said the guard. So he agreed. They ordered another bottle of wine, and that didn't last long until they'd finished that. And then they went up to the castle, and the guards introduced Christian to the colonel, who dug him out a new uniform and gave him a musket and led him off to the church. And they took him into the small church at eight o'clock, and they closed the door and they turned the key in it. And he went and he stood next to the coffin, and he thought, <laughs> God, a dead princess, eh? And they're too scared to do that. <laughs> I'll show them. Yes, eight o'clock turned into nine o'clock, and he was still saying, Ha ha, a hundred dollars. Well, that's good money. That's, that's good pay for a night's work. Just standing here. Yes, that's good. Nine o'clock turned to ten o'clock, and he started to think, Mind you, all those other guards have just disappeared and no one knows whatever happened to them. I wonder what did happen to them. Eleven o'clock came, and Christian's nerve failed him. And he thought, I must get out of this place. So he went up looking around for a way out, and he found up in a steeple there was a small door, and he thought, I could get out through there. So he opened the door, and there outside was standing a small, tiny wee man. And he was a tiny little old man, and he said, Hello, Christian, where are you going? None of your business, he said. 
I'm just, I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm away. I've been standing guard here, but I've, I've had enough. I'm going. No, you're not, said the small man. And then Christian realized that his feet were stuck to the ground. He couldn't move. There was some sort of enchantment over him, some magic, but he couldn't move his feet. No, said the little man, you have promised to stand guard all night, and stand guard you will. But I'll give you one piece of advice. At midnight you will hear the coffin of the princess, that wooden chest, you'll hear it open, and she will come out. But... If you climb up into the pulpit and remain there and don't move and pay no attention to her, then you will be safe. Leave the pulpit and you're dead. But that's what I say until you'll stay there until you hear the sound of the lid closing on the dead. And then you're perfectly safe to walk about the church the rest of the night and he pushed him in, and he locked the door. Well, Christian ran down the stairs, and he ran up into the pulpit, and at midnight he could hear the sound of the lid opening, and there was a terrible scream that rent the air. It was spine-chilling. And the princess got out of her coffin, and she shouted, Century! Sentry, where are you? Where are you? If you don't come here this minute, she said, I will have the worst death possible for you. Poor Christian was shaking in his boots, but he stayed in the pulpit. She searched around the church, and then she saw him up in the pulpit, and she went after him, but she couldn't get up the stairs to the pulpit. She, no matter how hard she tried, and her arms were stretching out, but she couldn't reach him. And he stayed there all night, and she cursed him. And she moaned, and she begged him to come down, and she threatened him, and she cursed him. And he stood there, looking at the princess. But it wasn't really the princess. It was a thing like the princess. But it was all covered in strange brown hair and had long, pointy, spiked nails. Well, he stayed there until one o'clock, and then the princess, or the approximation of the princess, went back to the coffin, climbed in, and he had the lid falling down on top of her. And then he heaved a sigh of relief. And he cuddled up in the pulpit and he went to sleep. And he knew nothing until the next day when he had the key in the door. And he rushed down the steps and he stood next to the coffin with his, his musket by his side. And in came the colonel to see how he got on. And there he was. The colonel was amazed no one had ever made it through a night before. And so he took him up to the king. And the king gave him his bag with a hundred dollars in it. And he said to him, 
Did you see my daughter last night? Did you see anything of the princess? I stood guard as I was told to, he said, and that's all that there is. He wouldn't say a thing. He wasn't sure how the news would go down with the king, that his daughter was a hideous-looking creature that would tear you to shreds as soon as look at you. But the king said, Will you stand guard again tonight? I'll give you two hundred dollars. And no, thank you, he said. No, I, I'm, I'm quite happy. I've done my bet. I've stood guard for a night. I'm, I'm not going back. Well, have some breakfast with me, he said. You must be hungry after a night like that. And Well, I bet you it was a fairly scary night. I bet you could do with something to fortify yourself with. And saying that, the servants brought in the most wonderful breakfast and also the most wonderful wine that Christian had ever drank. And he did good service both to the food and to the drink. He drank that wine and the king kept him company in a glass or two, but he had a lot more. And he started to feel very, very brave again. And the king flattered him of how brave he was because he was the only one that could stand there all night. No one else had made it. Well, after the wine took effect, and Christian said, I'll stand guard over her again tonight. I'll do it for two hundred dollars. Good man, he said. We want you in there by eight o'clock. So he went off down to the tavern with some of his friends, the, the lower-ranking officers, and they drank down there, and they made merry all day long. Then he went up to the castle, and he was taken to the church at eight o'clock, and he was put in. Key was turning the door behind him, and he was stuck. And he stood there by the side of the coffin, and all he could think about was, well, that was pretty scary last night, and I was lucky to get away with my life. Eight o'clock turned into nine, and he was starting to think, oh, maybe I was a bit too rash, promising to come down here again. Nine turned to ten, and by that time he thought, right, I've had enough. There's got to be some way out of here. So he went and searched, and he found a small door at the back of the pulpit, and he opened the door, and he headed off down towards the shore. But when he was about halfway there, he met the little wee man, who said, Hello, Christian, where are you going? And Christian found that his feet were stuck to the ground again. And he said, It's none of your business where I'm going. I can go wherever I choose. Oh, no, you don't, he says. You swore that you would. Stand guard over the princess tonight, and stand guard you will. And with that, Christian felt himself being turned around, and the little man dragged him back to the church. And he took him back to the door, and he pushed him in through the door, and he said, Tonight, when you hear the lid of the coffin open, go up in front of the altar, Climb the two steps there up to the altar and stay there. Do not move from that spot. Have the Bible that you will find there. Have that in your hand open and read from it. 
and you will be safe. Do not, under any circumstances, leave that place until you hear the lid being shut on the dead. Well, with that, the little man slammed the door and he locked it behind Christian. So Christian rushed as fast as he could over to the altar. And he stood there and he took the Bible and he read passages from it. And at midnight, he heard the lid of the coffin open. And he heard the shriek again of the princess or the creature that was like the princess. And she said, My father has set no century in, so war and pest tonight begin. And then, as she was searching the church, she spotted Christian standing on the altar, and she went over to him like she was going to rip him to pieces. But she couldn't climb the steps of the altar. There was some force that held her back. She screamed, she shrieked, she cursed, and then she flattered and begged, and then she cursed twice as much, but she couldn't reach him, and he stayed there. Now this night he noticed that she wasn't as hideously ugly as the previous night. There was less of the hair on her, and the nails didn't seem to be maybe quite as long as they had been the night before, but she was still a terrible sight to see that would turn your blood to ice. Well, at one o'clock, she went back to her coffin, and he had lid clatter down on top of her. And then he curled up and went to sleep on the altar, and in the morning he had the key in the lock, and he grabbed his musket, and he stood guard next to the coffin, and the colonel came in, and he was amazed to see him. And again he was brought back to the king. And the king ordered a wonderful breakfast with wine. Now, as the wine was flowing, he said, Will you stand guard over my daughter again tonight? No, he said. No, I've done it twice. That's quite enough. Ah, well, I can appreciate that. Did you see her at all? I did what I was asked to do, he said. I stood there all night. Well, well, that's as much as anyone can do, and it's more than anyone's been able to manage before. So you have my thanks, he said. Yes, I do appreciate it. Have another glass of wine. Well, after a few more bottles of wine, Christian was getting very, very bold and very brave. Well, yes, he says, I would stand guard another night, but you'd have to give me half your kingdom for it. Done said the king. I'll do it. Half my kingdom will be yours tomorrow morning. Well, he went away quite happy with himself. He met his his officer friends. They went back to the tavern. They drank more wine. And at eight o'clock he was put back in the church and the door was locked and he stood guard. But he remembered the last two nights and When some of that fog of the wine left his head, and it just left enough room for a little bit of wit to sneak in, and he thought, oh my God, what have I done? What have I said? Half the kingdom. I mean, the king's never going to give me half the kingdom, is he? But I think I should maybe go. 
It was nine o'clock, and he thought, it's earlier than usual. That little man won't be there now. I'll be able to get away. So he looked around to find the way out, and he couldn't find anything, except that there was a window that was open. So, climbing out the window, he chomped down onto the ground, and he managed it without breaking any bones or twisting an ankle, so he was quite happy with himself. And then he headed off down to the shore, and he made it all the way to the shore, and there was a little rowing boat. So he chumped in the boat, and he rowed away, and he was laughing, and he had a familiar voice saying, Hello, Christian, where are you going? And he looked back, there was the little man standing on the beach, and he said, Ha ha, your legs are too short for you now, he said, you won't get me. But then he found, to his horror and amazement, that the boat wouldn't move. No matter how much he tried pulling at the oars, the boat wouldn't move. And then it started going backwards, towards the shore, being drawn by some invisible force. And it landed on the shore, and the little man grabbed him and pulled him out the boat and said, Back to the church with you. Well, he argued and protested that, no, I'm not going back to the church. Yes, you are, he said. You promised, and you must stand guard tonight. So he brought him back to the church, and he said, but I can't reach that window up there. It's too high up. I'll help you, said the little man. And he grabbed him, and he threw him up till he landed on the windowsill. Now, he said, I'll give you a piece of good advice, Christian. Tonight you must lie close to the left-hand side of the chest. The lid, you see, opens on to the right. She will come out of the left-hand side of the chest. And you must be right underneath her, and she will jump over the top of you. And then when she rushes off, you have to climb into her coffin without her seeing you, and stay there until one o'clock in the morning. And if you do that, then the enchantment that lies on her will be broken. She will be free, and you will be free too. Well, he climbed back through the window, and he went, and he did as he was told. He lay as close as he could to the left-hand side of the coffin. And at midnight, the lid flew open, and the same piercing scream echoed around the church. And the princess leapt out of the coffin, right over the top of Christian. And she rushed around looking for him, shouting, Century! Century! And she said, My father has no century set. Uh, my father has no cent has set no oh we'll start again. My father has set no century in so war and pest this night begin Well Then she realized after searching the church that he was in her coffin and she couldn't get into it if he was in it And so she wailed and she shrieked she cursed and she begged and she did everything she could think of. But Christian remained where he was. He never moved. And he stayed there until one o'clock. Now he had noticed this time that the princess 
was much more like a princess this time. There was less of the hair on her, and the nails were getting to be normal sort of signs. But then, lying in the coffin, he heard the sound of feet entering the building. Although the door was locked tight, there was no way in or out. But in came feet, walking. Lots and lots of people walking into the church and taking their pews. And then he heard a preacher start to preach. And he could make out the, some of the words, not all of it. It was a bit too far away, and he was inside a chest, after all. But he had what sounded like the priest saying, There is a great blessing on this land tonight, because it has been saved from a terrible war and a terrible pestilence. The land is saved, and it will be prosperous, and it will be a happy and wonderful kingdom to live in. And then he heard what sounded like a wedding ceremony being said. And he thought he heard his name mentioned in it, and the name of the princess as well. And then, after the marriage session, the marriage ceremony was over. He heard the people get up again and leave the church. He heard the footsteps go. And then all was silence. He waited there. And when he thought that it was safe to come out now, he came out and he found the princess lying on the altar. And she looked absolutely beautiful. Oh, yes, she was her beautiful self. The way that she should always have been was the way she was now. She was so beautiful. And she was crying softly to herself. He went over and comforted her. She was shivering. He took his tunic off and he wrapped it around her to keep her warm. You've freed me, she said. You've saved me from the sorcery that has been laid on me ever since I was born. But now I am free. And I am yours. I am your wife. And if you will not have me for a wife, then I will go and live in a nunnery. But you cannot marry anyone else, because you have already been married to me by the dead. Well, he said that he would be more than happy to marry her. She was beautiful, and he now had half a kingdom, as he told her. And so the two of them sat there, holding each other and comforting each other until the dawn when the, they could hear the key turning in the lock of the church and in came the colonel and he was joined by the king himself this time who wanted to see whether or not the young man had survived and when he saw his daughter sitting there on the altar with the young man arms around each other 
he wept for joy. And she got up and she wept on her father's neck as well. She hung on to him and said how much she loved him and how she had missed him all these years. And how this man had saved her and that she was now married to him. And she would have no one else but him. And the king said that no one else deserved her but the one who freed her from the terrible curse, the terrible enchantment that lay upon her. And so the two of them were married again, this time by the living. And he was given half the kingdom, which he ruled with his beautiful princess, until the old man, the old king, died. And then they ruled the whole kingdom together. And they lived long, and they lived happily for all the rest of their days.